Good evening, ladies, gentlemen, and those betwixt and between. Welcome to episode three of the Things Can Only Get Banter podcast. To all seven of you who are listening this evening, this is a podcast dedicated to educating you about our upcoming local council elections in the UK, as well as uh, other elections around the UK on the 5th of May. And after that, it's going to be a more of a general exploration about how local and national government in the UK works. I, of course, am Alex, one of our two hosts, and I am joined tonight once again by prospective councillor Michael Butcher, who is running to be a Labour councillor in the ward of Cricket Green in Merton in London. And election day is approaching fast, isn't it, Michael? How are you feeling? Very tired. To be honest, um, I'm going from my day job to knocking on doors every evening. And we're in the home stretch now. We're leafleting all of our supporters to basically the get out the vote operation is now in full swing. So, yeah, I am very tired, but feeling confident. And what's the reaction been on the doorstep in your last few days of campaigning? Obviously, we discussed this at length last week. Any change in reception based on uh, the developing news in national politics? So the, in the continued unravelling of the Conservative Party? Yes, the government does just seem to be self-flagellating itself. Um well, that's the thing. I, I have to say, Boris Johnson is Labour's greatest asset at these elections. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, in any election campaign, all parties tend to focus on getting out the vote. And that is getting out the supporters who have already said that they will vote for them. So we check on our supporters who have postal votes and we make sure they've posted them. And then we essentially just remind the people who have already said that they will be voting, in my case, Labour, and we just remind them when the election is and encourage them to go out to vote. Um, we've had the long campaign um, where we spoke to voters in Cricket Green. But the last two weeks of any election campaign tends to focus on just turning out that core vote, those people who have said they will vote for you. And in the last two weeks, I have had a number of people raise things with me on the doorstep. Most recently, Porngate. Um and in general, the sexism culture around Westminster, which has become highlighted in the last week or so. And yeah, that is just more depressing news to throw onto the fire. But it is really stoking the electorate's dislike and lack of trust in the Conservative Party at the moment, which hopefully will turn into a vote for Labour on the doorstep. So question from me, Michael. Um, I'm interested in your view on this issue. Why do you think Boris Johnson went from being the Conservative Party's arguably their greatest asset and vote swinger at the 2019 general election to being such a liability now? What has changed? Boris Johnson has, to his credit, I will give him, Boris Johnson has always been something of a dynamic campaigner. He's always been someone who's won against the odds, whether it was from becoming mayor of London as a Conservative in what, for the most part, was a, a Labour city, um, to then backing leave in the referendum that most people predicted Remain would win, um, to essentially becoming the face of the Leave campaign. Boris Johnson 
the the myth around Mr. Johnson is that he is this brilliant campaigner who just wins campaigns, um, which I think is partly true. But you also have to question the the people he went up against. You know, he went one up against a Ken Livingstone running for a third term at a time that Labour were deeply unpopular. So I I think the likelihood was with the right can candidate the conservatives probably would have won the london mayoral election in 2008 whoever it was it just happened to be boris at the time um i think where the country was at in 2016 contributed far more to leave winning the referendum than one man did um and then if you look at if you look at the 2019 general election boris johnson started the 2019 general election with an approval rating of minus 20, which was really bad for a prime minister going into an election campaign. But what you have to remember is Jeremy Corbyn started the 2019 general election campaign with an approval rating of minus 40. So you had two unpopular leaders and Boris Johnson just happened to be the less unpopular of the two. He is a good campaigner, and I don't think that can be denied. He he connects with the working class voters that the Tories needed to win in 2019 in a way that other Conservatives don't, in a way that David Cameron and Theresa May never could. Boris Johnson had this air of, you know, one of the lads... Uh, Oh, I don't know, Michael. David Cameron's been spending a lot of time down at the car boot recently. <laughs> that is true. Trying to flog his, uh, flog his copy DVDs. Um, but the thing with Boris was people looked at him and thought he's funny. You know, he makes it, he makes them laugh. I people from abroad thought Boris Johnson was a, a fictional character before they realised he was actually the mayor of London. Um, I think it was. I think it was. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern of New Zealand, who said that when she lived in England, when she lived in London, Boris Johnson was a joke. And arguably, that joke isn't funny anymore. (laughs) Boris Johnson tried to portray himself as not your usual type of Tory, but essentially has just committed scandal after scandal um, and if anything, he's he had a once in a generation opportunity to convince the North that they had they had voted for the right man to convince them that they could trust the Conservative Party. And he broke that trust. Um, he arguably was worse than Cameron or May ever were. And. Well, I don't know if Boris Johnson was ever quite this brilliant tactician that a lot of people seem to think he was or whether he was just really lucky. But I think he has very much run out of rope now. My opinion. Thank you, Michael. Um, Well, I think that's a very interesting um, perspective on the issue there. And I, I, I would be inclined to agree with you. I think the, 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 the tolerance of, various shenanigans going on in the Conservative government has reached um, breaking point now. Someone said to me the other day that it it just feels like the 1990s again, where every day is just another story about a Tory scandal or Tory sleaze. 
the difference Although, between now it's, and the nineties is that in the nineties, Labour were polling twenty-two points ahead. At the moment, they're only polling six points ahead. But it it is feeling very much like the last days of the major government at the moment. Although the sleaze scandals in the nineties were much more interesting. Um, None of Boris Johnson's MPs has come a cropper with an orange. Um, Google that one, kids. But uh, I think that leads us on nicely to uh, some of the scandals that have been enveloping national politics, because we'll, we'll come back to uh, local issues and the uh, final build up to the local elections and what will happen on Election Day in just a few moments time. But uh, this week, the news has been dominated by Porngate. Another gate. Richard Nixon would be proud. Yes, because if you thought that the government couldn't get any sleazier, <laughs> turned out that uh, one of their MPs just doesn't care anymore. He was just watching porn on <laughs> in the middle of a debate, <laughs> just watching it on one of the benches. I mean, how how things have um, how things have slumped because I remember when David Cameron was criticised for playing Fruit Ninja on his iPad, and you could date that comment, um, that story nicely from the app that uh, David Cameron was using there. But uh, it's it's just depressing, really, isn't it? We we started. We went into last week with a lot of stories about Angela Rayner and some really just horrible stuff being said you know this whole idea that they were talking about basic instinct and the fact that she was uncrossing her legs to distract boris johnson it's like really sexist stuff coming out of the daily mail and it was just looking like a real horrible week for women in parliament to begin with and then you've got an mp just flagrantly watching porn on the benches it's like trying to dispel dispel this myth of the old boys club and it's not not doing anyone any favors it's just depressing are, are, are we allowed to name the mp in question now that the news has been well it's it's public information so i don't see why we well, can't i mean we're going to reference his constituency later when we talk about by-elections Neil Parrish, who went on gb news um just before his name was published as the porn gate um central actor and uh he he said that things were getting a bit sleazy in parliament needs to be cleaned up and it turned out that this was all the game of 3d chess he was playing because he was the one who had been watching porn all along um much much like a yeah much like a scooby-doo villain he has had his uh his mask mask, his mask taken off and I would have gotten away for it with it if it wasn't for two of my own female colleagues. Two, two of my colleagues who realised I was a horrible, horrible man. Credit where credit is due. I fully respect those women who actually did come out and expose him for doing this. It's just, it's just depressing. I mean, I'm exhausted with campaigning in general but national politics to even get into at the moment is just a cesspit um why do it at work where everyone can see you although saying this uh the michael and i used to work at the same job and at one point we did have an incident of someone who was discovered to have been watching porn on a shared device 
that uh, the whole team could see what they'd been doing on the the browsing history. So maybe it's just old people being stupid. Maybe he, maybe he, th- maybe he's confused with Jurassic Park. Maybe he thinks that female conservative MPs can't see him if he stays very still. It does always seem to be older males, doesn't it? <laughs> it older males who don't really have a full d- grasp d- of the technology they're using. D- d- I mean, d- d- does he think he can just get away with it and it's not a problem? Does Is he an idiot who doesn't know how the technology works? I think it is it's... depressingly part of the Westminster culture, isn't it? Well, we, we heard reports this week from Anne-Marie Trevelyan, who is a, a Tory cabinet member, I believe, about how... A male colleague held her up against the wall and said that he knew that she wanted it. And I was like, for goodness sake, this is just disgusting. Disgusting and depressing. And it's like, this wasn't acceptable in the 60s. And yet it's still going on 60 years later. This wasn't acceptable ever, but... It's 2022. Just... Watch porn in your own home, or even better, have some fun with an orange and a sack. Well, it was it was Neil Parrish's wife who came out and, you know, to her credit, she sort of said, you know, everybody watches porn. You know, oh, oh you know, fair enough to her. That's a, a fair statement. But not everyone watches it at work. And also she then went on to criticise the female models taking part in the pornography as if it was their fault what? their husband decided to view pornography in the workplace. That That's some um, interesting and depressingly common logic there. That, uh, that Well, it was these wenches that seduced him. He was pure before he happened it, to uh, log, log on to Pornhub, whatever that is. It, it all just stems from this, it wasn't me culture going on at Westminster. Like, oh, it wasn't a party. Okay, it was a party, but it was only, I was only there for 10 minutes. Oh, it, it was a party and I was there for 10 minutes, but I was only grabbing a slice of cake. And then like, oh, yes, I, I guess I am guilty, but it doesn't matter. There's a war in Ukraine. Um, it's just uh, depressingly common of... Of, I, I, I'd love for this not to feel partisan, but it is coming mainly from the conservative benches. I mean, I, I, I'm sure there are there are Labour MPs out there not. Well, no, I'm not because I can't I mean, think of a Labour MP well, who would get away with this. I mean, there, there, there certainly are. Or have been sleazy Labour MPs. Um, Simon Dan- Simon Danchuk comes to mind, um, the man who uh, sort of wrote a book um, which exposed the uh, sexual abuse committed by um, Cyril Smith on children, and then got dismissed from or was discovered. Dis- dis- well, no, he he was he was found to have been sending um, sort of illicit messages to a teenage girl, which is somewhat well. A repulsive and B um, incredibly hypocritical. Yeah, it's. But I think I think I think it is fair to say that a lot of this is coming from the conservative benches at the moment, and I'm sure it, it, 
certainly go, does go on in the Labour Party, but I think things are better, and better is by no means perfect or where we need to be. But the the only thing that I will give Neil Parrish any credit for is the fact that he has resigned, um, which <laughs> resignations for resignations for scandals are few and far between these days so but i just don't understand why he went on gb news and denied it did he think that it would all go away if people would just take his word for it well no he he didn't deny it but he he acted as he spoke as if it was an issue completely because it wasn't connected to him at that point but he, he spoke as if it was an issue completely disconnected to him surely he must have known at that point that he had been caught red-handed yeah anyway his constituency tiverton uh north it's a is it east devon or north devon it's it's devon devon is uh the tiverton constituency um it was a i think it's actually the middle of devon the middle of devon okay for a very long time it was, at least from the, the 90s up until 2010, it was a very Tory Lib Dem marginal, particularly when the Lib Dems were doing very well in the southwest, in the Paddy Ashdown and um, Paddy Ashdown days. And then with the Lib Dem collapse in 2015, I think UKIP came second in the seat. And then the last two elections, Labour have come second. But Ed Davey was on BBC News this morning saying that he is planning to pull North North Shropshire and take back uh, Tiverton for the Liberal Democrats, um, restore the Lib Dems in the southwest to their former glory. Um, yes, but I think I think see. Ed Davey would Ed Davey would happily happily go on TV and say he could reclaim Donbass for the Lib Dems. <laughs> well, yes. Um, the real question only the, now is... Only the Lib Dems can defeat Putin now. <laughs> the, only the Lib Dems can take Arizona and stop President Trump. <laughs> um, only the Lib Dems can defeat Le Pen. The, I think the real question now is, Labour... There are obviously two by-elections now confirmed to be coming up. Um, one in Tiverton... And the other is in Wakeford, I believe. Um, Imran Khan's seat. Imran Khan being the, the Tory MP who was found guilty of a child sexually abusing a child. That's come up depressingly often in this episode. Oh, Jesus. Um, yes, I believe it. it. It's Wakeford, isn't it? Um, can you check that for me, Alex, and maybe uh, cut this section? <laughs> I'm 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 checking it now. Imran Khan, uh, not the Prime Minister of Pakistan, I should add, though he's having enough troubles of his own. Um, uh, because if you are uh, convicted of a crime of this nature as an MP, you automatically uh, lose your seat. Quite right. Um, he he has now resigned, I believe, as he fights the fights the uh, court case. Wakefield, um, mate. Wakefield, Wakeford. I'm, I think I you're, I think, I think you're, 
think in a Christian Wakeford, the uh, the Bury MP who defected to Labour, um, Wakefield. Um, so obviously we got two by elections coming up. Uh, Wakefield, which was a Labour constituency for about a hundred years before it went Tory in twenty nineteen for the very first time, and Labour has their sights set on taking it back because I believe the Tories only took it by about 3,000 votes and Labour are preparing on the ground there, particularly given the horrible nature of what Imran Khan did um, and are going to be throwing the kitchen sink at Wakeford. Wakefield. Uh, so that leaves the question of will Labour be fighting hard in Tiverton as well or is this going to be possibly another case of of Tiverton um of the North Shropshire uh campaign where Labour weren't weren't actively campaigning in North Shropshire and I believe the Lib Dems weren't actively campaigning in Batley and Spen where Kim Ledbetter, Joe Cox's sister, was contesting her her sister's old seat. So we saw we saw that the Lib Dems weren't actively campaigning very hard in Batley and Spen, and Labour weren't actively campaigning very hard in North Shropshire. Could we see a repeat of that with Wakefield and Tiverton? Maybe. Yep, I think that is certainly a possibility, although obviously, as per usual, any talk of alliances, formal or informal, have been... The, uh, yes, both both Keir Starmer, Sir Keir Starmer and Sir Ed Davey were on the news this morning um, talking about the story today. Oliver Dowden, the... Uh, Tory front bencher basically said the Lib Dems and Labour are working together to stitch up the Conservatives, um, which sounds absolutely horrible. Can you imagine two parties working together? Um, that sounds awful. Um, <laughs> but both Keir Starmer and Ed Davies said there are no PACs, formal or otherwise. Both parties are just allocating resources where they believe those resources would be best spent, which I think is very smart. And if those resources happen to be allocated in places where uh, sort of the other party is the weaker one, so they... I mean, I think Ed Davey said the Lib Dems will be fielding a candidate in Wakefield. Keir Starmer said Labour will be fielding a candidate in Tiverton. How hard they both, how hard both parties campaign in those seats will depend on how good they feel their chances are. There is no, <laughs> there is no formal alliance or informal alliance between the two parties, but at the moment both parties share the common aim of just wanting to get the Tories out. So that's the that's the what they have in common. I mean, at least Neil Parrish can say that he's the only the second creepiest Tory MP this week. <laughs> what a title! Yeah. Strange, strange times. Right. Well, let's just shift discussion back to local politics slightly, because obviously we are 
just a few days away. So we're recording on the 1st. This episode should hopefully be out this evening. We're just a few days away to Thursday's election on the 5th. So you've been talking about your last few days of campaigning, Michael. What will happen on election day? Obviously, many people have already cast their ballots by post. Um, those yep. who haven't cast the ballots by post will, and who are voting in the election will be presenting themselves at the polling station and uh, making their vote. But what happens when the poll closes? Well, on the day itself, um, I will be out in Merton um, knocking on... And I will be with you. Yes, you will. It's going to be fun on the ground. Um, plenty of Red Bull. Uh, at the moment, I seem to be surviving on Red Bull um gifted to me by colleagues at work who seem to have discovered the fact that i am perpetually exhausted at the moment uh but yes we will be knocking on doors in merton getting out that labor vote reminding people to vote um and we'll be out from 10 in 10 in the morning when polls open till 10 at night when they close and then we go to the count alex and that is going to be a fun evening hopefully it is yes and can't wait for uh, all the fun beginning there. I'm going to be hanging around until uh, probably about one in the morning, and then I have yeah, to disappear. Yeah, and I think I think we will have the results. Hopefully, about we might have the first results by one. We'll definitely have the first indications by about then. Um, depending on how close it is in certain wards. We may be done by about 3 a.m., 4 a.m., but if it if the margins are close, particularly in those South Wimbledon wards that I've previously mentioned in episode two, um, then we could be looking at staying even into the early morning, <laughs> like 6, well, 7 a.m. You'll be staying into the early morning. I tragically have to be uh, back in Oxford for work the next day. <laughs> well, you know, we hopefully we'll have seen enough indication on how cricket cream is going by 1am that you and i might be able to have a nice toast on the evening yes to the future of uh, council of butcher you will finally become the jedi master you were meant to be a seat on the council <laughs> this is outrageous it's un- unfair no labor member has been granted a seat on the council but not the rank of labor master <laughs> Oh, we should. We're fully going to do a which politician best suits these Star Wars characters at some point, because we are shamelessly nerds. But no, on the on the evening itself, um, I've been asked to be a counting agent, which means I will be standing alongside the official officials officially counting the ballot, and I will just be monitoring them to sort of see what way the wind is blowing. So hopefully, I'll be able to give you some insights on the night, Alex. So what kind of powers do you have as a counting agent? Can you touch the votes yourselves? Can you examine the votes? Do you have any powers over the people who are counting? Um, I can point out if a vote has been placed in the wrong pile. I can definitely do that. And I can make them recheck the vote to make sure that they have got it correct if I believe it it has been incorrectly placed. Um, But I'm going to get a full briefing on the night of what exactly my powers are and what I will be doing as a counting agent. Um, I think every party will have some kind of counting agent in different wards monitoring the count as they go. I just happen to be asked. Um, (laughs) I think because I'm young and 
might be less tired than some of my comrades. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it will be another thing that we can uh, get the insider gossip on for our next episode. Yeah. Okay, so just a couple more questions before we um, draw an end to tonight's proceedings, and you can go and do your uh, pre-election training regime for the evening. Um mm. I presume you need to get some sleep at some point. Oh, that'd be nice. Um, I think I'm up at 3am for work tomorrow. Oh, lovely. The joys of working for Transport for London. So I was just going to ask about uh, polling. And obviously there have been some hopeful signs for Labour in various polls. But uh, how reliable do you think polling currently is? I think it's a good snapshot of how people would vote nationally if there was an election tomorrow. Um, so we started the campaign on the 28th of March with a four-point Labour lead in the national polls. This rose to uh, a five-point Labour lead uh, in the polls when Boris Johnson was fined. This went up to a six-point Labour lead in the last couple of weeks. So so Labour have not had a six-point national lead in the polls going into local elections since 2014. So really, um, we should be expecting gains on Thursday. Um, but of course, the polls are how people would vote in national elections. Um, turnout for local elections is usually about half the turnout you'd expect in a general election. Um, and of course, on a good how, day, yeah, uh, that's if it's not raining and how people will vote in national elections doesn't always give an indication of how they will vote in local elections. Usually it does, but not always. Um, I'd say when people come to vote in local elections, they normally base their vote. And this is just a rough study here, but this is what I've read into it. When people come to vote in a local election, they'll usually base their vote two thirds on what's happening in national politics and one third what's happening in their local area. Um, It's very hard to break that connection if someone's voted Labour all their life or someone's voted Conservative all their life. It's very hard to convince them to change that just based on local issues. But you also have to just look at turnout. Will Conservative voters disgusted by Partygate, stay at home on Thursday. Have Labour done enough to infuse their base to turn them out on Thursday? Those are the questions. Because Have you met many many people on the doorstep who have actually said, I was a Conservative voter before this, but I'm so horrified I'm now going to switch my vote to another party? Yes. I I wouldn't say a great many, but a fair chunk. Um, You know, I would say I've had as many people say to me, I'm conservative, I'm never going to be anything but conservative, as I've had say to me, I'm conservative, but I'm not going to vote, or I'm conservative, but I'm switching to another party. I've had a few people say Labour, um, but the majority of conservatives who are switching their vote to another party, it's usually the Lib Dems or the Greens. Um, But there are a a handful who are switching to Labour. They say about... They say about one in 10 conservatives who voted 
Tory in 2019 are now considering voting for Labour. Um, but the vast majority of Conservative voters that I've spoken to have just said they simply won't vote. Rather than vote for another party, they just won't vote for a Boris Johnson-led Conservative party anymore. Interesting. Well, we have to see how that plays out on Election Day. And on that note, I think the time has come for us to call an end to our final pre-election episode. The next time that we speak to you, dear audience, we will know the results and whether Michael is indeed the uh, councillor of Cricket Green Ward in Merton, along with his two um, running mates who are... Uh, Jill Manley and Uzama Kawaisi, both absolutely brilliant friends and candidates. I mean, I'm glad you can remember their names. That's a good first step. In, <laughs> that's, uh, that's in, always generally a good sign that candidates have worked together if they know in, in, each in, other. In your political career. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't think, um, I, I don't think Tony Blair knew who Ed Miliband was by the end of his time in office. Though to be fair, Miliband did work for Brown, <laughs> and he only knew Ed Balls because of how aggravating he was to him. <laughs> Well, I think Ed Balls was pretty aggravating to everyone, hence why he lost his seat. He's now the most, he's now the second most popular politician in the country. And he doesn't even, he isn't even in politics anymore, which is probably why he's the second most popular politician in the country. Well, there you go, Kia. You need to learn to play the ukulele and become a sort of third tier national treasure. You're not up there with your Ian McKellen's or your Dame Judy Dentures, but you're acceptable to the elderly. And (laughs) (laughs) that's the thing about Keir Starmer. Like Jeremy Corbyn, he was Marmite. Keir Starmer, he's like he's like old people (sighs) want to give him biscuits. And I was gonna describe Keir Starmer as like Kellogg's cornflakes. You know, that's the way I think most people view Kia. They're like, oh, cornflakes, reliable. Probably not my first pick, but pretty good. You know, that'll do uh, a pinch. Michael, do you mean Kialog's cornflakes? <laughs> Kialog's cornflakes. Mind you, he does have a damn good haircut. I've discovered an, I've discovered an Instagram page today that is just promoting pictures of Kia Thomas' hair. Well, on that bombshell, let us call an end to uh, our final pre-election episode. And I shall take this opportunity, Michael, to wish you good luck in the coming polls. I will have a very, very brief mini episode coming live from the count. When I say a Um, brief mini episode, we're probably talking less than a minute. And our Northern Irish special has been delayed somewhat. That will be coming after the election. We decided that it will be a more interesting episode if we discuss the results um, and the implication for the politics of Northern Ireland going forward, because Quite. it won't just be me making crazy guesses. We'll actually have some firm results on the ground in Belfast at that point, and we can we can tell you how the election or how the electoral system works. And Michael can ask me important questions like which of these people are going to be played by Liam Neeson in the uh, upcoming movie. If if these politicians were members of the Derry Girls, which Derry Girl would they be? I've only just watched the first series, Michael. Just let me, give me a chance. 
Okay, so it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me, and wish me remember, a Thursday, folks. Good luck, Michael. Remember, things can only get banter! banter!